He is risen. He is risen indeed. Hallelujah. May be seated. He is risen indeed. And so it should have been the party of a lifetime. When those women come to the tomb on the early morning and they bring their spices, they're preparing to anoint a corpse, right? But they get there, and there is this mysterious young man who is there at a tomb, which, oh, by the way, is empty. And this mysterious young man, whom the other gospel writers make more explicit, this is an angel who's speaking to them, and he says to them, hey, guys, you looking for Jesus of Nazareth? And it's like, no, we're looking for the Easter bunny. Yes, we're looking for Jesus of Nazareth. They say, oh, well, guess what? You know how he was crucified? He's not here. He's risen, just like he said. Isn't that awesome? And at that point, it's like, cue the confetti, you know, popping the champagne, high fives, party! But that's not what happens. The women hear it, and Mark tells us they were gripped with astonishment and trembling, and they said nothing to no one, for they were afraid. Failed evangelists, that. Why were they afraid? Now, I grant you that, like, right off the bat, anytime anyone encounters an angel in the scriptures, like, this is always their initial reaction, right? They poop their pants. They're very scared. The angel says, like he does here, okay, don't be alarmed. This always happens, guys. Can we change it? Okay. Don't be alarmed. And then usually what happens is they get over that initial fear and trembling, and then immediately they're excited. You think of the shepherds when they heard the angels on Christmas night. At first they're afraid. Don't be afraid. Okay. And then they're filled with joy. They go and they can't help but want to go and see that, that newborn babe. But in this case, in this case, you've got this full anticlimactic Debbie Downer here as the women are like, oh, we're so scared. And that's where Mark ends it. Wah, wah. This is the question I want to take up with us this morning. Why are the women afraid? And I want to take it up not because we can necessarily answer it conclusively or exhaustively. We can't get into their heads, per se, and really understand what they're thinking, although I think we can get a pretty good idea of it. But I also want to take up this question because it's not just an academic thing. It's not just an academic thing to wonder, oh, let's see if we can piece together what it was that caused them fear. No, as we unfold and explore the answer to this question, we will be unfolding and exploring why this day is such glorious good news. We'll not only understand why it was that those first women were afraid, but also, and even more importantly, why you and I don't have to be. Spoiler alert, it's because Jesus is risen. But there's more to say than that. There's more to say than that. So why are they afraid? Well, one answer that could be given is they are afraid because of the inevitable opposition that is going to come against them if they start going out and telling everybody, hey, Jesus is risen just as he promised. And this is not an unwarranted or implausible reason. I mean, after all, they have just stood there and watched their Savior be crucified. And those same guys that put him up there, guess what? They're still out there. And they're not going to be any more excited to hear that people are going around and saying, oh yeah, he rose from the dead. We were there. Talk to an angel. Know it for sure. That's not going to put them at the top of the popularity lists among all of the religious leaders and those who had crucified Jesus. There's really this question of, okay, who's going to be next on the firing line? 
And so if that's the reason that they're afraid, that makes total sense. Persecution, opposition, that would make any of us afraid. But there is a reason why I think this is probably not the reason that they're afraid. And interestingly, it's the same reason that if they were to go out right away and, and give this grand testimony and this witness to the resurrection, it's the same reason why that witness probably would have been discounted if not totally brushed aside. And don't get mad at me for saying this. The reason is because they're women. And in that culture, in that society, women had a, a marginalized place. And so on the one hand, that means that their testimony is not going to be taken seriously or taken at all. The flip side of that, the good side, if you will, is they're probably not as much in danger of being persecuted or killed for that proclamation of faith. Oh, oh, oh little women. That should be a title of a book. Uh, we won't worry about you. I mean, among the martyrs in the early church, uh, it's disproportionately by a large margin, guys to gals. And that's not because there weren't just as many faithful women confessing Christ. In fact, if anything, there was more of them. But in that culture, in that time, it was like, well, we don't got to worry about the lady folk, see. We only got to worry about the guys. As an aside, this is also a really good apologetic or defense for the, the truthfulness, the veracity of this first story of the resurrection. Because if you were making up this story, if you were like, hey, I want to write a story about a guy who gets killed and then rises again. Let's see, who should be my witnesses at his resurrection? The last people that you're going to put there are women. And note this, this is a small thing, a trivial thing, but I still think it's kind of funny. If you were making it up, you wouldn't put two Marys there. I mean, really? Like, you couldn't come up with any other names if you were just making up the story because it's not made up. So why are the women afraid? Persecution, opposition, that was probably in the back of their mind, but I don't think that that's the, the main reason. A second reason, though, a second reason that I think has, has more to uh, commend it comes as a result of these words of the angel who says to the women, okay, guys, he's risen, and he's going to go ahead of you into Galilee, and there he will meet you. Now, there's a way of hearing that, which it sounds a little bit like, okay, son, Go on up to your bedroom. There your father will meet with you. You ever had that happen? Because, look, Easter, good news, great news. But put yourself in their sandals, as it were. You have just stood by and watched Jesus be crucified. You didn't intervene. You didn't fight. I mean, Peter, he took up the sword. Jesus said, don't do that. But other than that, and he himself went out and, and denied him shortly thereafter. But as for the women, as for all the rest, they all fled in their own way. They all betrayed him. They all failed him. They were not faithful to the end as they thought that they were going to be. And so there's a sense in which for them, when they first hear this message of the resurrection, maybe it's not good news. Maybe it's bad news. Maybe, maybe it's the sense of like, he's back. In a word, retribution. Maybe they are afraid of retribution from the Lord. I know that sounds crazy, but we can't totally rule it out. But I don't ultimately think that that is why they are afraid. 
And for reasons that you guys know already, they know full well the character of the Christ. They know their Jesus, and they know that there is grace in every one of his footfalls, that this is who he is, that he is not the kind of Lord who is vindictive. He's the one who said, love your enemies. They know that it is forgiveness up and down with Jesus. I think of this, you know how I love my strange analogies. I was thinking of this the other day. I've been watching the basketball tournament, and Geico has been trotting out this commercial again with Dikembe Mutombo, who was this NBA all-star who was famous for blocking shots. Uh-uh-uh. And in the commercial, Dikembe Mutombo, he's going all over the place. A guy is at his office, and he throws a paper ball, and Dikembe Mutombo blocks it and comes out of nowhere. A kid throws a box of cereal at the grocery store into his basket, and Dikembe Mutombo comes out of nowhere, wham, blocks it. Uh-uh-uh, not today. And the point of the commercial, this is... By the way, this sermon is not sponsored by Geico. Just, I want to make that clear. The point of the commercial is how happy are you? You're happier than Dikembe Mutombo blocking a shot. I can't verify that when it comes to Geico, but with Dikembe Mutombo. All right, Pastor, where are you going with this? How happy? Happier than Jesus forgiving sinners. That's who he is, see. They needn't fear his retribution because everything about our Lord is compassion mercy, forgiveness. So then why are they afraid? If it's not persecution, if, it, if it's not retribution, then what? Well, I want to submit to you a third answer, one that occurred to me in an unlikely place. This is a while back. I was listening to this interview, podcast interview with this guy who's become kind of a, a rock star psychologist, if ever there was a, a contradiction in terms. Uh, all due respect to psychologists, generally. Um, a guy by the name of Jordan Peterson. And some of you will have heard of Jordan Peterson. Others of you haven't. It doesn't really matter. But uh, suffice it to say, some people love him. Some people hate him. But the one thing you need to know about him is he's kind of infamous for being totally unflappable. He's a guy who can take anything, any kind of question, any kind of situation, no problem. But in the course of this interview, and the guy who was interviewing was a, was a, a Christian guy, he starts talking to him about the faith. And Jordan Peterson has been asked many times whether or not he's a Christian, and he always kind of just plays it off, doesn't really want to answer it. But in this particular instance, the guy starts asking him about Jesus. And Jordan Peterson, the tough, unflappable Jordan Peterson, starts crying. And he says, you know, I think that this story of Jesus, the whole thing, his incarnation as the Son of God, his suffering, his death, and his resurrection. He says, I think it might actually be true. And I am terrified. And the guy who's interviewing him, he, he kind of chuckles a little bit. And he's like, terrified? Okay, really? Why? And Jordan Peterson says, don't you get it? If he really is risen from the dead, that changes everything. And he says, and I don't think that I am capable of that kind of transformation. Why is Jordan Peterson afraid? Why perhaps are those women afraid? In a word, transformation. I want to read to you from... uh, A biblical scholar, a guy by the name of Charles Campbell, who says this. No wonder the women are frightened. If something as certain and inevitable as death is no longer predictable, the world has changed dramatically. 
If the very power of death has been overcome, what other kinds of power and domination will likewise be overthrown? What other kinds of disturbances will God work in the world and in our lives? The women may be frightened precisely because they grasp the implications of Jesus' resurrection. Precisely because they grasp the implications of Jesus' resurrection. This is where Jordan Peterson is coming from, and insofar as the women are too, I admire that scene. To have this kind of clear-sighted, consistent view, to hold it with integrity, to say, wait a second, if this guy actually is risen as he says, then that changes everything. We need to reorder our entire lives. Everything about our lives needs to be transformed if this is actually the case. And frankly, I admire that because, let's be real, I mean, for myself and for too many of us Christians, we live as though that weren't the case. We live like Jesus were still buried in the grave, as though death weren't defeated. But if he is risen, that means everything has changed. And so I admire Jordan Peterson. I admire the women for, for recognizing that, the true implications of our Lord's resurrection. I get that. I think they're right to have that sense. But they're wrong if that means that they're terrified. They're wrong if, they mean, if that means that they're terrified because, look, if you view this transformation as a burden rather than as a blessing, you are missing the boat, see? If you see it as an occasion for fear rather than for faith, you have misunderstood the whole nature of the good news of this glad day, see? Because this is not, this transformation that is affected is not just some work of man's will, but it is a gift of grace. It comes to you and me from without. It is God's work. It is Jesus' transforming work through the power of his Holy Spirit. He's the one who does it, and so we need not fear, because he is the one who has the victory, and he is the one who is transforming all things by his grace. And guess what? In this world, insofar as this world continues to be racked by sorrow and sadness, by darkness, and by death, the fact that Jesus transforms everything is the best news of all. And this came home to me a little while back in a really powerful way. I was having a conversation with a woman that many of you know, Laura Callahan. And Laura, if you're watching, hey there. She gave me permission to share this story. So some of you know, a few months ago, Laura and her husband, Larry, contracted COVID. And for Laura, it was, it was a really tough time. She went through a difficult bout, her own case of hospitalization, but ultimately she came through it okay. But for Larry, it was just up and down, back and forth, and he just wasn't getting better. It was like an engine that just wasn't turning over until eventually they put him on a ventilator, and then he became comatose. And a few weeks ago, Larry died. And I was talking with Laura, and what I heard in her voice was not overwhelming grief or anger or resentment or, or anything like that. And friends, like, I'm a pastor, I'm a professional Christian, okay? I'm a man of faith. 
But I got to tell you, sometimes I am humbled by the faith of God's people. Like just because I'm a pastor doesn't mean that I'm the guy that has the strongest faith. In some ways, like it helps me to grow in my faith to be a pastor, right? Sometimes I'm just humbled by the faith of God's people. And so it was as I was talking to, to Laura in this instance, is just hearing that come out of her. And so I just asked her, I'm like, Laura, like you just, you still seem to be so light and even joyful. And like, how is that? And she says, well, pastor, you know, a couple things. For one thing, as much as I loved and love Larry, God loves him more than I ever could. And I also know that if I were some way able to go and find him now in heaven and say, Larry, come on back, he'd be like, nah. <laughs> but she said, there's one other thing, and it's kind of strange. And I'm like, I hear a lot of strange stuff. Hit me. And she says, well, it was in one of those moments when Larry was still comatose and it wasn't looking good, one of those darkest moments. And suddenly I had this, this realization about his birthday. And I'm like, okay, his, his birthday, why so? And she says, it occurred to me that his birthday is April 4th, today. Easter day. And she said, I suddenly realized I didn't have to be afraid. Because come what may, Larry belongs to Jesus. And Jesus is risen. That is the hope and promise that is yours as well. You have this incorruptible, indestructible hope that the Jesus who rose on this day will come soon, perhaps today, and he will raise our mortal bodies. On that day, the Lord who began a good work in you will bring it to completion on that day of his return. On that day, his transformation will be complete as he will transform our lowly bodies to be like his glorious body. On that day, there will be no more tears. On that day, there will be no more sorrow. Death will be swallowed up in victory. On that day, there will be no more dying. Can I get an amen? This is our hope, friends. But it is not only a future hope, it is also a present promise. A promise that is for you that Jesus already right now is working from the inside out, transforming this old world and making all things new. That he is turning hopelessness into hopefulness, see? He is turning doubt and despair into faith and hope. He is seeing us with all of our tears of sadness, and he is making of them tears of joy, and he is turning the grave into the best sleep that you have ever had until he comes again and awakens you and all who have trusted in him. We have that present promise as well as that, as that future hope. And look, that doesn't mean, that doesn't mean that life is always just going to be a breeze. You guys know it as well or better than I do. Today, it's a glorious sunny day. But some days, it's cloudy. Some days, it's downright dark. 
But even in the midst of that, you have a light that pierces all things. Because you belong to Jesus. You need not be afraid. Because you belong to Jesus. And Jesus is risen. And that changes everything. He is risen. He is risen indeed. Hallelujah. Please stand.